Hello, kids, and welcome to the Eager Beaver podcast interview series. When we have a guest on our show, we ask them if they would like to give us an extended interview so that we can have more to share with you after the show. In this, the first in our series, we interview Canadian champion curler Colin Hodgson. We hope you enjoy. Mr. Grizzly, I think our listeners are really going to like this next segment because we've got a really cool first interview guest for them. And in my reality, this guy's a BFD. So should we let them know who it is? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Let's see if our audience can guess based on these clues. Clue one. Our guest trained as a chef and owns his own curling apparel business. Clue two. In 2007, he skipped his team to a Canada Winter Games gold medal and took home bronze in 2017 and 2018 at the Canadian Mixed Doubles Curling Championships with partner Chelsea Carey. Clue three, he made five appearances at the Briar, including the most recent, the first being in 2015, where he won the Ford Hot Shots competition taken home at 2015 Ford F-150. And the final clue... In 2016-2017, he was the lead for the then number two ranked curling team in Canada, Team McEwen, in a season that culminated with a silver at the 2017 Roar of the Rings Olympic Qualification Tournament, which at the time was, in my honest opinion, the highest quality curling tournament in world history, and may still be. No? All right. And recently, and like most importantly... He got engaged to his partner, Brittany, and we here at the Eager Beaver podcast just love, love. So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't guessed already, our first guest is none other than Canadian curling ace, drumroll please, Colin Hodgson. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you you very much. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What an intro. It's always so awkward to listen to other people talk about you. It sounds very, very, doesn't feel like you're talking about me. We'll, we'll say that. <laughs> well, there you well, go. There's a good Canadian kid right there. I'll tell you what. Yeah, there you go. You kind of accomplished a few things, you know? <laughs> Some would say, I guess. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot left to do though. That's for sure. Yes. Absolutely. I'm sure you have like bigger, uh, bigger goals and bigger ambitions. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> Upwards and higher, as they say. Um, our audience, uh, for those of us who are probably not as familiar with the story for, or with curling, um, how did curling find you? Um, I, my, my earliest curling memory is at the Drayton Valley Curling Club. Uh, my dad took me down to the club. And I remember that I would jump on the handle of the stone and I would put, I'd put both my knees on the one side and hold them at the neck. And then my dad would take me and he would either take his broom on my butt and shove me down the ice. Or nice. if he actually wanted to try to make a shot with me on the rock, he'd, he'd take me and he'd kind of go up behind me and he'd spin me to try <laughs> to make me curl towards the button. Um, so I think I, I came by curling pretty honestly at a very young age. I think I was four years old when I started. My nieces and nephews started at three and they're far better right now than I was at their age. So wow. I'm excited to see their progression. And it's uh it's a family sport for sure. Um, I played a lot of different, I, I guess most curlers in Canada, and it's certainly not the same in other places in the world uh, from my experience, but in Canada, I, I grew up, um, pretty much just thinking that that's what all kids do and then got older and realized that's not what all kids do. And, (laughs) you know, I wasn't the coolest kid because I didn't play hockey or, you know, some other sports like that. And, uh, you know, I've got nothing against hockey, but I mean, curling was, curling was my niche sport that I had an opportunity to, to be unique and different. And I think that's why when I had opportunities to do other things in sport, like baseball, you know, go to college and do things like that in the States, I, I didn't feel all that comfortable. So I ended up uh, sticking with curling and kind of, you know, being the vanguard of my own story and trying to find a different way to, to live my life in a unique way. So I guess that's kind of how I came about curling. I, I don't think I had much of a choice in my family. <laughs> that's for sure. Born into it. <laughs> yeah. We've got some genes. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of curling history and, 
it, it's a great sport. It, it's a unique one, and it's one where you can uh, be colorful in yourself, which is pretty neat. Well, yeah. that and, and the, the one thing I, that always impresses me about the sport is sort of the equality of it, right? You have mixed teams now, and I think it's the one sport where you can compete on a global basis where any man's team can lose to a woman's team or vice versa, or a mixed team can beat a man. You know what I mean? I think because it, it's not... It's not like hockey or, or football or, or soccer where there's a lot of brute strength involved. I'm not saying that doesn't require strength. I know curlers hit the gym, they work out, they're in good shape these days. It's not like it was 40 years ago where they'd have a cigarette hanging out of their mouth and a beer in one hand. And you know, <laughs> It's not like that anymore, but I, I believe it's sort of a sport of equality in that sense. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's a very... It's not unique to our sport, but it, it's a, definitely an attribute to our sport that we can have situations Indeed. like this. Um, it being a skilled sport and it being so having so much touch and feel, um, you know, using different parts of your brain that um, where, you know, having brute strength does help your yes. results. But it's not the be all end all, which is which is exciting. And, and you're starting to see lots of um, lots of the some of the women are, are absolutely more fit than some of the men these days mm-hmm. some of the mm-hmm. things that you can do and you know men are learning from women and um i think that's a great thing that we need absolutely Ab- absolutely especially at a younger age too um, oh yes i remember when i was growing up in alberta i curled against casey scheidegger um kaylin park um brendan botcher uh geez i i i'm gonna leave out a lot of people so i apologize because <laughs> Alberta okay. curling at that time was just incredible. Yeah. Um, so there, I remember getting my ass kicked by Casey Scheidegger on a very regular basis. Because um, <laughs> in Alberta at the time, when I was when I was between, I started playing competitively when I was twelve. I got picked up by my older cousins, and um, you know they they definitely I owe a lot to them for them you know, giving me a chance at a young age mm-hmm. to be able to play against the older kids. Like I played, a, I think I might've played a game against Mark Kennedy when I was, I was 12 and he was 20 and oh, wow. he won the Canadian championship that year or was in the Canadian championship. So it's kind of neat where, you know, the age differences, there's an opportunity to play against some of the best players of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And then you get a chance to play against, you know, Casey Scheidegger, uh, been to Scotty's, one of the, you know, one of the great shot makers, um, you know, rocking a Manitoba tuck in Alberta and making it cool <laughs> and, and looking slick out there, throwing, throwing bomb run back out turns. I still have nightmares of losing games to her in, in, uh, in Red Deer at the junior bonds field. So <laughs> anyways, I, it, it's just neat that you get the opportunity to do these things. I don't think you really get that in a lot of other sports. Oh, mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I like about it uh, is that it's it's a sport that can you can play your whole life. You know, it's a, you can start when you're really young. You have the the, the junior curling with the, the smaller rocks, and uh, you know if uh, something happens later on in life, you know you have stick curling. There's wheelchair curling. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so long as you can get on a nice and you can push something, you can play. It's wonderful. There's another story of getting my ass kicked by. Um... <laughs> I, I absolutely got just destroyed by an all stick curling team. I think that's the greatest, greatest invention the sports ever seen mm-hmm. to be yeah. able to, for, for people who, you know, want, want to have that competitive nature. Like there's people playing into their, their nineties yes. yep. or even later in some cases, which is just unbelievable. Yeah. You can competitively play against, um, you know, younger people or able body people and that, you know, my goodness, uh, the opportunity I got, I had a friend from the U.S. His name is Patrick McDonald. He's uh, he's on the United States uh, wheelchair team. I uh, went to the Paralympics. Just an incredible player, a great friend. Whenever I go to Arizona, stay at his house. We barbecue in the backyard. We had some soft shell crab. We fried that up. It was great. Nice. Um, but he gave me the opportunity. He he brought his one of his wheelchair. Uh, out for me to zip around the curling club in Arizona. So, you know, I started wheeling around the club, you know, getting on the ice, getting off the ice. He, uh, he lined me up. So he, he's, he, he took a 3d printer. He had um, someone take a 3d printer and, and essentially event a head that was very useful for stick curlers um, or for wheelchair athletes. Um, so he's, you know, he lined me up, 
He set up the wheels. He got behind me, told me where I'm supposed to aim, how I'm supposed to turn it. Um, and it, it, to be honest, it, his, the, the invention did really make it feel like I was holding a curling rock when I had the stick, even though it was, you know, a 10 foot long. Wow. wow. And I, I, I would not say this because I, I like the, I like self, self-deprecating cause it makes me feel more comfortable, mm-hmm. but <laughs> the very first throw, he lined me up, told me how far to have the stick back. A gent said, uh, you know, give it like a bit of a thrust, but don't jab it. And the very first one we got on video full button, Totally covered the button after. <laughs> so I'll have to share that video with you later. It was an amazing feat, especially on Arizona ice at that time. Oh God. <laughs> and, and it's something you'd never done before, right? Or attempted before. Stick no, curly. it gave me such a unique perspective being, um, you know, an, an able-bodied person to mm-hmm. have the, um, you know, the opportunity to, to use his competition chair that's made of carbon fiber and, to zip around on the ice and man, I had a blast. Um, we followed that curling up with going out on the golf course Oh, nice! and it was him, him and I in a cart. And one of my favorite memories too, is when, you know, he bombed a drive and I, sh- I, I shanked the drive and he hit one about two fifty because he's got custom made clubs and everything. And he hit one right down the middle and he takes, he hits that and he's, you know, he's a little like, all right, let's get the beer going now. <laughs> I, I just out drove you and he takes his car and he just wheels it really quick up to the cart and he just hop like jumps into the cart grabs his chair he's holding his chair off the edge and i'm like all right it's beer time bro let's go so he sounds like a bit of a cowboy oh gosh anybody who meets patrick yes he's a cowboy <laughs> nice he also taught me the painting uh you know painting my toenails can be a pretty rad thing okay uh, cool his, I his confidence agree. really yeah, it's confident, man. It, it's uh, it's infectious. <laughs> um, so, uh, Canada Winter Games. What is that like? Because a lot of people hear about that, but they hear about that when they're watching the Olympics or the Pan Ams, and they hear, you know, but not a lot of people are actually familiar and know that we have the we have these. Canada Winter Games was a very cool experience, and that was uh, that was pivotal for me. Um, that's the first time. I went to a national competition. Um, the athletes are number one. It's not about performance so much. However, in some sports, that's essentially an avenue into the Olympics because a lot of the sports, a lot of the athletes we played against, I think Steven Stamkos was at the one I was at, oh. um, mm. plays with Tampa Bay Lightning, mm-hmm. you know, Team Canada, Olympics, World Championships. Good kid um, from Markham. Canadian Canadian women's hockey team. There's so many players that were there too. Yeah. You know, some of the squash athletes, badminton, ping pong, um, you know, at the, at the athletes village, it, it's, it's a mini Olympics, essentially. It's mm-hmm. a Canadian version of the mini Olympics and you get all your gear. You've got your hoodies, your hats, your toques, your gloves, your um, snow pants. You've got everything to take care of you. And yeah, you just feel special. Um and that was just really great to have that kind of precursor to what could be there in the future for the Olympics for, mm. you know, if, if I were to qualify. So that really fueled my fire. And on top of that, I met a lot of great athletes that, you know, I are still friends today. It was not as much of a high intensity. I would even call it like, you know, some competition can be very toxic and hmm. difficult to get right. through. But that one wasn't like that. It was more like, all right, we're on the ice here, but we're going to go back to the Athletes Village. And, um, you know, Brett Gallant and I, we owned the pool table. Owned it. Because, <laughs> like, curlers are good at angles, right? So right. Brett, Brett and I were pretty good at that. And then we decided to take on the Northwest Territories ping pong players, who absolutely destroyed me. But it was really fun to learn from someone who's pretty, like, you know, a good athlete. Uh, another, you know, very specialized sport, a very, you know, tactful, skilled type sport. And yeah, it was just very, very exciting. I think Canada Winter Games is one of the coolest experiences. And I don't, I would not be playing competitively now if I didn't get that opportunity. Wow, that's wonderful. I know what you mean. And we lost on we lost or sorry we won because the other team in a provincial final and a shot to tie us burnt their rock. Wow! So, and the weirdest thing about that was my sister 
who was a very good curler, she lost the Alberta Winter Games to go to Canada Winter Games because they burnt their last rock on her shot to win. <laughs> so it was really cool how it came full circle. And, and now my nieces are kind of on that track to maybe potentially be able to go there. They're one of the, you know, the teams at the right age who have a chance. So I hope they get that opportunity. I don't want to like jump into their stuff because, you know, they have to learn their own lessons. All right. We have to stop right now for a few commercials, but Colin, will you stay with us? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Hey, have you heard about the Miss V Mysteries yet? No, I don't believe I have. Oh, well, then you really need to. The Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and obsessed with all things 50s. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? I don't know about that. Oh, I sure hope they do. Oh, goodness, yes. Must be happy at least one hour a day in there. (laughs) (sighs) Miss Fee and the Lettress Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from Bi Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold, paperback copies are also available. Or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. The Miss Fee Mysteries by Delilah Knight. Get it. And now, for more of our interview with Colin Hodgson. Yes. I, I hope they get that chance. Oh, that would be wonderful. Um, so you get to the Briar, and you uh, make a pretty big debut, <laughs> winning the Hot Shots competition. Um, now, this I'm envious because the closest I've ever got the briar was selling 50-50 tickets. <laughs> so what's it like? Um okay, so there's a there's a few parts to it. Um so a, I would say a week before the briar, uh so I move I moved from Alberta and I moved to Manitoba. I got on a team, I'm like, holy cow, what an opportunity. We get somehow we get into a provincial final in Manitoba. We beat like Jeff Stoughton in the semi um to get into the final against mike McEwen, mike's team is probably world number one at the time or i don't know around there they they were world number one a bunch of times so they're one of the best teams in the planet and you know it came down to one shot something happened where we really like we got fortunate and we had a chance to like oh my gosh we're going to the briar like it was a total shock i didn't expect to move from alberta which is one of the hardest places to go to the briar from yeah and then move to manitoba and go my first year with a brand new team um so that was shocking and exciting um and then so i was nervous like i had a horrible provincial final i played brutal i put so much pressure on myself and i was just i was i just played bad and somehow you know Derek played like a greek god and (laughs) bailed me out almost every end (laughs) and so anyways i'm nervous i'm like i'm gonna go to briar and just play brutal and so we call um there's a sports psychologist that we had available to us. And I said, Hey man, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm pretty nervous. So I call, so I talked to him and he's like, like, man, what are you nervous about? Like I'm a big Calgary flames fan and it's at the saddle dome. Yeah. I'm just moved away from my province. I'm going to wear a Buffalo on my back, which is something I never <laughs> dreamed of as a kid. But I yeah. playing in the saddle dome at a briar. So I'm wearing the wrong colors. I'm like, what's going to go on here. Um, so somehow I get into the hot shots and I think I might be the only, well, I definitely am the only player to ever win the hot shots who has a red light violation. So in the first, (laughs) Oh my, in the first audience who doesn't know what that is. (laughs) So we have, um, we have these like metallic, like these sensors on the stones. Um, they're like metallic sensors. Um, 
And if you hold the rock as you go over a line, it's called the hog line. It's kind of like somewhere where you have to let go by. And so, like, there's one rule. Like, that's a big rule in curling. You have to let go before then. And they literally created new technology just to make sure you don't go over. So we're so doing that the first round of light that they see on the handle. Uh, yes, precisely. Yeah. And so this is the easiest shot. It's an open draw to the button. This is something you have to nail. Like you have to put it on the button. So there's a hot shots is like a five shot process or six shot process at the time. I think you'd have like a draw to the button, draw through a port, a tap back, a double, a hit and roll. And I can't really remember it so many years ago now. Um, so uh, it might be a freeze. I really can't remember, to be honest, because <laughs> we haven't done it. The hot shot doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it stopped about two years ago. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I'm out there, and I'm trying to throw, you know, throw the rock, and just, I could feel it, too. Like, you, as, you know, you do this hundreds of thousands of times in your life. So I'm sliding out, and I let go, and my finger just, like, goes off the back of the stone as I'm letting it go, and it kind of just runs, and that little metallic strip takes, like, the heat from your hands to feel throw. if you're over that line. So I was over the line, red light. Oh no, hot shot's over. Like you can't miss that shot. So I end up, I think Reed was calling line for me and we ended up making like the grossest last two shots ever through like a hack weight, eighth of a rock in off to cover the button. And then it was like a quarter rock double sit full button. And then I just snuck into this, into the next round. And then after that, it was like, game over reed was dialed in with line calling for me and i did i barely missed a shot after that <laughs> it was like this is wicked and and i i, I got to credit reed a ton for making good line calls because i i wasn't that i wasn't in the best shape back then and you used to have to like you would throw six shots back to back to back to back so i threw my six and then our second would go throw all six of his okay third would go throw all six of his and then our skip would go throw all six of his yeah. So that's a lot of because we played all out turns. So I just swept every rock, back to 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 back. So by the time it was his turn, I couldn't even move my arms anymore. So I stewarded him. He didn't make it because I couldn't get a rock into like four foot where he needed it. So <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> it took me about. I just it took a long time to even get him a cake dinner back if I've even given him that. But uh, <laughs> I've cooked for him many times, so I think that counts. <laughs> nice. uh, and like during that that briar too I, I think you made like the first or second team yeah i don't even know how it happened man like we didn't do very well at that briar so i did get to throw lots of corner guards um ben hebert has definitely let me know that a few times he's like man it's easy to throw 95 if you throw corner guards all day so <laughs> oh yeah but at your first briar that's it that's fun banter we we like to get after each other um when it comes to the briar like you know benny me jeff walker like there's a lot of great leads out there we're always kind of battling up there yeah so for us we got to do some sort of trash talk right um, <laughs> and he's the king of it right so it's it's much more he fun is. for me yeah like you can't let that go like, you can't <laughs> he owns you if you don't respond and i'm not gonna allow that to happen so you know, pause it, reframe it, turn it into motivation. I don't think there's a person on the planet that motivates me more at being a good lead than Ben Hebert. So mm. for many reasons, he's one of the best sweepers of all time. He's one of the most accomplished leads of all time. If not the most, he's won everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he knows who he is and how he goes about it. And I appreciated that. And, you know, that allows me to, to be the same in a different way. Like, yeah. I want to be like Ben, but I don't want to be like Ben. I want to be different than he is. Yep. And it's enjoyable. Yep, yep. <laughs> I get that. Totally understand that, yeah. Um, okay. I'm a total Olympics nut. You were, I don't want to do salt in the wounds, but you were so close. <laughs> um, I was there. I was there that I, I, I did the Canada 150 thing. And I was, you know, as soon as the tickets went on sale, I bought them. I was there championship weekend, saw the match. Uh, you know, it's one point in the 10th. You went, you went into the 10th tied and it was just one point. I'm, I'll pause you there because I wasn't playing with Mike at that time. No. Okay. That, yeah. You weren't playing with Mike at the time. That's true. Right. And um, it's just, 
Ah! <laughs> how, how do you, how, how do you, okay. What do you do in that, like the last end and like, cause the adrenaline must be going like crazy like this and like curling this, like, like two tenths of a second out of the hack difference, like as a shot, mm. but you know, you know, between a garden and a rock that goes through the house. How do you keep that adrenaline down in that last end? You know what? I actually, I you might get that question a lot, but when it comes down to it in like those moments, I haven't really ever felt any of that pressure. Um, it's such a repeatable thing. I find watching on TV almost impossible. Oh, really? Like I can't watch those games for other people or, you know, watching in purpose or watching in person. But I don't find like I, I, I don't. You know, there was a time where, yeah, I did get nervous for big games, but I built that up in my own head. So I created mm-hmm. my own nervousness. But we all go through so many things in life, and especially as, as, as we get older, that really gives you perspective that this is just a curling game. Mm-hmm. This is something I do all the time. This is something I'm very good at. It's something I'm confident at. You do need to, you know, manage your breathing and your focus, but like going through like a lot of other shit um, makes those moments easier. That so makes like a I don't think it's sense. any different for somebody who goes into like a business presentation mm-hmm. for like something that they've been doing for many years and they're very good at, or someone who like a race car driver. Mm-hmm. Like you'll hear, like if you watch that, um, was a drive to survive the F1 series and you hear those guys talk is like, those guys live on the edge, like at the edge of, of life or death at many moments, but they're not, they don't seem that worried. Like they're like, I don't know. I'm good at this. this is how I do it. I live in this world. I feel it. You know, I feel the car. Yeah. I completely so I think understand that's maybe what the you're best saying. Example. Yeah. It makes yeah. it, it makes a great deal of sense. Anything you're doing in any walk of life, if it's something you do all the time and you're good at it, there's pressure but it's not the pressure that we're feeling as, as an observer. Like we're, we probably have more pressure, you know, the, the nervousness in our head watching you than you actually do playing. Because like you said, this is what I do. You know, there's mm. pressure, but it's not, we're not going to feel it the same way you do. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that by the time like you get to the final of the War of the Rings, you know, one end from the Olympics, you know, you will have done that enough times in, you know, big moments to be able to know what to do in that situation. But it's like, I don't know, man. It's like, I, yeah, is, I live for the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would have had such a hard time. <laughs> I'm sure, I I'm think, sure it was tough. I'm sure it was tough. Yeah. I, I think when you, when you, when you, I don't know, when you get into big games, I, I find the provincial final is actually more of a big deal than getting into other games. Like the, cause you're, it's when you're expected to do something when right. other people expect that that's, yeah. that's when it gets difficult because yeah. you can't, it's, it's harder to keep that pressure further away from your mind. So, so yeah, when you get into those moments, it, it's pretty like the, the name of the game is focusing on the task and you hear that all the time from, it's so cliche, right? It's like, yeah, I focus on what I'm doing and then, it, you know, the, I trust the process and then, you know, I'll get through it. It's like, well, it's either more simple than that or not as simple as that or far more complex. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you keep those areas of your brain quiet? How do you focus on what's going on? Because as soon as you let it leak in, be like, wow, my mom's watching right now. I wonder how she's feeling. <laughs> or my nieces are, you know, they're nervous at home. Like I know how they feel because I've watched other people. I've watched my sister play and I'm like mm-hmm. just pacing and nervous. Like she could be playing in like a, you know, the Lacombe ladies bonds feel final. And I'm like, dude, to my brother like man i need to stream this let's go mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well but like i don't even well i don't like watching our own games i don't like watching this stuff it's like i understand that it's easier to feel for other people mm-hmm. that's that's where i <laughs> so long story short i don't really get nervous but that's not because i'm like super saiyan like dragon ball z <laughs> <laughs> Um, Not at all. <laughs> it makes me think of the, the, the famous Joe Montana story in the 1989 uh, Super Bowl. There's like less than two minutes left. They're down by a field goal, and they're on their own five-yard line. And it's like if you don't 
succeed on this drive, it's done, right? And the, all the guys on the line are nervous. Montana looks at the guys and he points up in the stands. He goes, hey, isn't that John Candy over there? I love John Candy. And he says, everybody just calmed right down, focused on what we were doing, and they won the game. It was the greatest comeback ever. Well, no, I think the other one with um, Brady a couple of years ago. But you, you know what I mean? It was like just a, a calm, centering moment that brought everything back into focus. And, and it sort of uh, pushed all the noise away. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Cracking a joke. That's it. That's, that's the secret sauce. That is what all the sports psychologists, that's what the clinical psychologists, that's what, that's it. If you're ever, like any sort of situation that's high stress, high, high energy, high emotions, just remove all that by changing the narrative into something that's going to completely derail you and distract you. That That's it. Oh, and awesome. that's not just sports. Like sports is elevated. Like we've got mm-hmm. this like big platform that people just give to us. Like, I don't think we deserve it often. Um, but we have it. So we might as well use it. Oh, um, yes. But like, it's absolutely no different than regular life. People all go through the same things in a different way. And I think that's like the most hmm. inspiring thing is like, man, you can get all this motivation from other people. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to people who are very good at what they do, because it's no different than, you know, Olympians. And it's time to give our sponsors a little bit of love. Uh, Colin, well, you'll come back with us after the break, will you? Certainly. All right. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly, your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear, who is asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you. If you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now the website is ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Dollar two dollars fifty cents whatever whatever you can spare it helps us with our production costs mr beaver that's right mr grizzly the amount that we have recommended on the coffee site is three dollars but it can indeed be anything that you want uh buy mr grizzly a cup of coffee or me a cup of hot chocolate because after all you are what you drink We want you to know that we will be using these tips in part to invest in improving the quality of the show for you. We are looking to get better equipment, better sound, perhaps at a later date, correspondence, a web presence, maybe even filming for YouTube. The possibilities are endless. The show will grow with your support and encouragement, and your support and encouragement is always profoundly appreciated. If you would like to leave us a tip, Again, the web address is coffee.com backslash eager beaver. That's ko fi.com backslash eager beaver. Thank you again. And now for more of our interview with Colin Hodgson. Keeping on the subject of Olympics, but the upcoming ones, um, there was a little bit of a, an Olympic qualification panic for about a day or two or so. Uh, Care to inform our, uh, our listeners a little bit about that and what happened as a result? Are we talking about the women's world? I believe so, yes. Okay. So the women's world, yeah, um, there was two positive tests. Uh, they came back um, from from the, the German women's team. And, you know, the protocols are, are super clear. Like y- you, you have to have a negative test in your country before you get on the flight and that will get you into our country where you get tested again so one of the six people in that whole delegation tested positive immediately Um, i believe they went germany to montreal montreal to calgary so we really don't know like it's it's pretty impossible to well it's very difficult to tell um where that would have happened um so then one tested positive on and on their Canadian entry one. And then the rest tested negative, but then the next day on retesting, another athlete on the team also tested positive. So these aren't the first positives that have happened in the curling bubble so far. We've had some, uh, we had four um, 
what they're calling for false positives, which, mm. you know, thus far, um, I don't believe I have enough information of what that really means. We don't know how the false positives happened, but they were on three different teams, which is a little concerning. Okay. Um, but as far as we know, there wasn't more of a spread to other teams within the Grand Slams or um, within the women's worlds or the men's worlds. Um, we had the, the, the false positives were happening during the men's worlds, but yeah. they happen on athletes who were vaccinated in their own country as well. So yeah. there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of um, information that isn't clear yet. Hopefully we get some answers at some point. Um, but yeah, like the crazy thing is, if this happens to a team and, and it absolutely could be chance, like the, the, the German team, I, I know um, Daniela Jensch's team, they're good friends. And I don't know if there's many people on the planet that take curling and their jobs and what they do to qualify for Olympics more seriously. Like they are so driven, determined, mm -hmm. like there's almost nobody else in this entire world. Cause I, I make clothing for the German team through, through dynasty, through my company. Yeah. You know, we work with the Germans. My gosh, they're they're incredibly, um, you know, incredibly on top of everything all the time. So for me, it's probably one of the least likely instances where, you know, someone goes out of the norm. I, I don't think that happened for a second. So then, you know, how does this happen? What's going to happen? Are they going to play three-handed? I'm not, you know, we're not sure which players have tested positive yet. It's not public, nor does it necessarily need to be. Mm -hmm. But it will be because if the team goes out there three-handed to try to play, we're going to realize who's not there on the yes. bench. Um, so, and the crazy thing is there's Olympic bursts on the line. So, you know, they've been training their whole lives and, and they've been leading into this and they've been, you know, improving significantly. You know, they've been working mm -hmm. hard coming to Canada, spending tons of money and time and effort. And they might just have not have a chance now because like to play three handed was very difficult. Yes. And it depends who on your team too. Like, is it your skip, your third, your lead, your second, your alternate, who tested positive, your coach? Mm -hmm. How are you going to get through this? Um, they have 14 days quarantine as well. So if you tested yeah. positive, it's a false positive. Well, 10 days of a world championship means you're not curling in it. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. So what are, <laughs> we're kind of in limbo and, and I feel for those athletes and, and, it's really difficult being in there. You can't prepare. You think you can prepare, but if you're in isolation and you're spending four days inside a hotel room with no real balcony that you can walk outside on or just see the sunlight, you might be facing the wrong direction and to not have sunlight, your brain just can't like the science mm -hmm. is simple. You, you can't function well, depression, anxiety, things like that are going to come into your world by being locked away in a dark hole and Absolutely. not being allowed out for any purpose. I mean, and you're speaking from experience here. I mean, you were in the bubble for a while. Yeah, and that was difficult. You know, like, yeah, I did it. I went through it. Um, I was in the bubble. It wasn't super enjoyable. I tried to make the best of it and be positive and talk to people. But I did go there for the reason of experiencing it. I did think I was going to be able to get through it. And I did. And then I realized that it wasn't right for me to go back. And it, it wasn't going to be healthy for me. And, you know, it, it, once I heard about the positive tests at the men's worlds, I, you know, I listened to the media call and, you know, the questions from reporters and, and just trying to ask of like, you know, what's going on? How do we know? And there's just so many, like, we don't, it's either we don't know, or it's, we're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And like, there wasn't really any information being passed along. Mm -hmm. And, and from knowing from, from friends of mine who are inside, you know, going 60 hours without hearing any updates and mm -hmm. or even that's knowing unnerving. if you tested positive or negative, that's just not acceptable. No, no, no. Um, and I know there's, there's so many people like involved in so many, like, the, the people involved there are like no sleep, like sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. Like how well are we equipped to handle these things? It's, it's not easy and there's no simple answer. Um, I do think everybody's trying as hard as they possibly can. And I think it, it has been wildly successful the the bubble itself so far however if something were to happen if i were to test positive can i look at myself in the mirror and can i look at my community in the mirror when i come home mm -hmm. and for me that answer was overwhelmingly and and you know i did break down in tears outside on a balcony in the sunlight and mm -hmm. um 
And I was like, look, this is where I'm at. I'm happy going home. I don't want to drive west. I mm-hmm. want to go east and go home. So I was on my way to the bubble. I had my negative test results come back. I did the nose jab. Uh, you know, I was all prepared to leave the next morning at 6 a.m. And then I wasn't. And right. I reached out to my teammates and they they helped me through it. And it was just, man, since then, I've had so many messages and so many comments and you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there are other people who didn't go back to that bubble who reached out to me that said like, look, thank you for saying something because I would have went back and I would have been struggling. Mm -hmm. And that just meant so much to me to feel that there are other people who are that way or who are feeling the same way as me. Mm -hmm. And it just took for me to say something for like the floodgates to open and everybody else to be like me too me too me too <laughs> well that's often what it is right it takes the courage of one to stand up i mean on on this show uh, at the beginning of the show you know we always do a mental health check-in uh because you know it's something we believe in and you know times are tough <laughs> times are tough <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in particular now so it's uh um, you know, for what it's worth. I mean, I particularly commend you for making a good choice for you and for your mental health and also, you know, for your, you know, what you need to, you know, to feel good about yourself. You know, you, you're the responsibility that you took. Absolutely. And yeah, I, thank you. I, you know, I I'm somebody who suffers from depression and anxiety and have been battling them for 40 years. I was open about depression 20 years ago and everybody shut me down. So I stopped talking about it. Then I opened up about it when Robin Williams committed suicide because it was like, okay, I got to talk about this. And it was about five years ago I started opening up about my anxiety. And and trying to, w- once you tell people about this, I've had all kinds of people come out of the woodwork to say, dude, thanks, man. You're so brave. And I'm like, I don't feel brave at all. I just couldn't hold it in any longer. I just couldn't hold it in any longer. I needed to talk about it. So I did. And And when I realized I was able to help somebody else, Man, the difference it made me feel, tremendous. So I get what you're saying, man. I totally get it. You got to speak your truth. So total respect. It's a different pathway. It's a different, It's it gives purpose. It gives reason to why are we doing things? Why do you go to work? Why do you mm-hmm. get up? Why do you listen to the music you do? Why? Like it just, it answers lots of those whys or starts to answer those whys. And that's the exciting part. Like, I think in January, there was, there was a moment I had um, where I was really low, like super low. It's January 15th. It's that middle of January when Worst there's the time least of the year. sunlight. Mm-hmm. God, it's so bad. Um, yeah, it was brutal. And I was like waking up and I just could not, like, I couldn't even type in the keys on my on to log into my computer. I couldn't mm-hmm. look at my emails. They just pile up and it gets worse. And um, the worst part was I couldn't listen to music. Oh god. Music I couldn't I couldn't press the power button. So I was like in silence. That's bad. For dude. three and a half days. That's mm. bad. And silence is like the enemy, mm. right? Yep. You can't live in your own head like that. <laughs> so no. um so I'm like, you know what? Um Okay, I'll open up with the story. This is uh, if you got time for this one. Oh yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this this was my transformative kind of moment in the middle of January. So, like I said, I was in silence. I was spiraling downwards, and um, you know, I had a family member who's very close, and I heard that they hadn't listened to music for eight months. And for me, growing mm-hmm. up, growing up for me was like I woke up to the radio in the morning i woke like you know going to school every day we listened to the radio crank that's music was a big part and every single day in my existence that family member like you know was listening to a radio and it's like a super sunshiny positive vibes beach boys let's you know Mm -hmm. pina coladas on the beach sunlight let's go and and you know for me to hear afterwards that someone went through eight months without any of that who like spent their 40 years of doing that is like wow how do you exist how can you get through that and so i'm like you know what screw this fuck this i'm going to push the power button so i push that power button and about a week before i downloaded um amazon unlimited music Mm -hmm. and on amazon unlimited music it like curates playlists and i was listening to whatever and all of a sudden this song comes on and you know 
is it the sun's coming through the bathroom window it's like 8 30 in the morning it's a nice morning or nine in the morning and um so yeah so like i've got the speaker in the bathroom like all right press play on this curated playlist i'm gonna listen to music damn it strip naked i'm like all right get in the shower and all of a sudden like i've never listened to lyrics in my life like song lyrics are not my thing and i just heard this artist his name is nf he's a rapper um i've got tons of his stuff now actually i've got like hats and shirts and <laughs> um but so he his lyrics just like hit so deeply for me and he just changed everything I just started listening to lyrics in that instant. I started thinking about mental health. He talks about it. He just like was plucking all these things out of the back of my brain. I didn't even know about. And one of the beautiful things through, you know, this is going to sound strange, but one of the beautiful things for this pandemic is it's in the lockdowns is it's forced us to look internally Mm -hmm. rather than getting Mm -hmm. external affirmations and I think the affirmations are are have been hurting us for a long time, and we haven't been able to look inside. So, yeah. so I heard that music. I get out of the shower. I still go to type in, um, you know, my password and get into my email, and I couldn't do it. Still, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna listen to this artist. And I like lay down on the couch and I sobbed until my fiance came home, and the cats are like climbing on me, and. I'm crying on the cat fur and they're like, what's wrong, man? Like, yeah. <laughs> like what's going on? They, 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, I had quite a moment and then, yeah, Britt came home and she looked at me. She's like, what's wrong? I'm just like, I feel seen. I'm like, mm. whoa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I spent so much time listening to that artist and expanding and like, you don't even have to like rap, but NF, his name's like Nate Feinstein or something like that man he just like changed it all for me so I shared that music with my teammates because I couldn't articulate how I was feeling properly mm-hmm. and you know issues we had or whatever like you know you're with teams for eight years or seven years with guys you're gonna have problems like brothers and sisters yes. so you know I sent that to them I'm like look can you just like listen to this for me they did they're like holy man like I had no idea and so going through all that process and then fast forward back to like going back to the bubble. I think we like did a lot of work in the middle there to understand that like, okay, this is just curling. <laughs> and there's been so much positive happened since I didn't go way mm-hmm. more positive happened that I didn't go than if I ever would have went, which is pretty nuts. You made the right choice for yourself at the right time. Just, you didn't know it was the right choice at the right time. It just felt like what you needed to do, right? It just worked out beautifully in the end. That's a great, that's, I think that's, that's magnificent. That's the dude. key, man. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but you can only make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes how you feel is very important and letting people know that it's really simple. You need to listen like, to your body. Yeah. Like anxiety <laughs> is there for a reason. Yeah. Like your brain does all these things for reasons. Fight that's or flight, right. man. Like you get hungry because you need sustenance. Well, <laughs> Your brain's getting all cloudy because it's like, dude, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, There's absolutely nothing wrong with taking some time to center and some time for self-care. No, not absolutely at all. Absolutely nothing at all. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for that. And and I, I've explained to a few people how I find that uh, depression is terrible. It's horrible. It, it, But I find anxiety to be way worse. Because with depression, I can't get out of bed. I can't move. I feel like terrible. But I don't. I don't have the strength to harm myself, right? Because depression takes everything away from you. You just lie in bed. Whereas with anxiety, it's like you've had nineteen cups of coffee and six Red Bulls, but you're trying not to look like you're shaking because internally everything is just vibrating at a really high level, and it's going a thousand miles an hour in your brain. And you can't focus on a single thought because you have too many of them. And it's like, that is way worse. It's way worse because you can't get anything done. At least when, you know, when I'm having a bad depressive episode and I've been on medication, knock on wood, I started on the 28th of February, 2020, (laughs) like right before the world shut down. (laughs) Like how perfect is that? Good job. Like (laughs) well-timed. Serendipity, right? 
And, and it's made a tremendous difference in my life. I've only had like maybe three bad days in a year since then. Before it would have been That's like amazing. three good days. So I put a mask on and I hid it from people for decades. And when I started to talk about it, I'm sorry, I'm taking up, this is, this is not about me, it's about you, but I just, I hear it, I have to talk about it, you know? I and, need this, man. Oh, cool, okay. So <laughs> I started to talk about it with people and I noticed people began to listen. Now, it, it goes back to, there's a, a, a big effort to get people to talk about it now. And we're not going to mention the name of the big company that does that um, because they don't pay us. But uh, <laughs> it, it's positive that they've got people talking about it. And people's yes. focus has changed. It's, it's not the stigma. And if we can get rid of the stigma altogether and realize it's no different than if you had any other debilitating disorder. It really isn't. It's just literally it's all in my head. <laughs> but it, but it, the thing is, it about depression, it does affect you physically as well. It does affect you physically. And I noticed after I started taking the medication, there was a picture of me a weekend, the weekend before I went to see my, on a Saturday night, and then Monday I went to see the doctor, and that's when my life changed. And on the Saturday night, it was a dear friend of mine who is a doctor who looked at me and said, you need to do this. This is what you need to do. You can't put it off any longer. And I looked at the photo and I looked 20 years older than I do right now. And I didn't have a beard then. Mm. Right? Mm. It just, it's so physically debilitating. It can, can destroy you in so many different ways. Anxiety just makes you feel like you're on a big Coke binge. I'm guessing I've never done drugs, so I'm just guessing. But like I said, 19 cups of coffee and four Red Bull, but you're trying to act normal. You don't want people to know that you're freaking out, right? It's just, yeah. it's bizarre. But thankfully for you, you found something that helped you and made the right decisions for you at the right time. And like you said, nothing but positive after that. So good on you, brother. And a team that supported you. So good on the team too. Mm. Indeed. Oh yeah. That was my greatest fear. And that's the end of the first half of our extended interview with Colin Hodgson. Be sure to join us for the second half tomorrow. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.